So, one day last summer I was driving around with my friend Emily. She starts telling me about a rapper she was working with named Claudie B. I'll admit, given some of the friends of friends of mine who were starting to rap over YouTube beats, I had a reason to be skeptical. But then she put on his song Dogs, and I was absolutely blown away. The beat, the flows, the delivery, the lyrics, all of it was just insane. In less than a year, Dogs has reached over 100,000 streams on Spotify alone. Claudia performed a sold-out show at Newport's historic Firehouse Theater, and he dropped a track featuring the platinum-selling NLE Choppa. Claudia B is one of the most talented and promising artists to come out of Rhode Island in a long time. And a few weeks ago, I had the chance to sit down with Claudia over Zoom to talk about some of these career highlights, as well as some of the work he's been doing to help his community in the wake of the tragic death of George Floyd. My name is Charlie, and we're going to get into all of that and more on this, the first episode of The Up and Up. I mean, thank you for uh, doing this in the first place. Is it is it actually your birthday today? Yes, it is, bro. Yes, it is. Happy birthday. What are you turning? Thank you, brother. 27. Jeez, wow. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get right into it. So, like, are you are you from the Newport area, originally born and raised? So, actually, I was born in Portland, Oregon, and then uh, my mom moved back home to Newport after uh, three, six months after I was born. So... Born in Portland, Oregon, but raised in Newport, Rhode Island, for sure, definitely. Gotcha, gotcha. So, like, what were some of the first artists and albums that got you into uh, the, the rap game? So, two of the biggest rappers at the time when I was a kid were 50 Cent and Kanye West. So, right. the two albums that definitely stuck to me the most was Give It or Die Trying and College Dropout. Um, because they dropped so close back to back. And then, as I got older, they kept going with their commercial beef, just, you know, for all that you know, genius marketing. Um, but I think more so like my mom had me at 18 or 19 rather. So she was super young when I was growing up. So she was listening to things like Jagged Edge, um, uh, who else? Like uh, uh, 98 Degrees and just all sorts of young hip things, you know, like she was a fan of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. So I grew up listening to The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, uh, Dr. Dre, Tupac, like I said, you know what I mean? Like, so I just had the eclectic version of all types of genres so um but growing up it was definitely 50 cent and kanye west those were the two where i was like those are those are the guys i want to be like those those two i definitely like I, I get hints of that through your music and like even like on some like your earlier stuff like you're rapping about kanye and fitty and that kind of stuff so it right. makes sense that actually want, gets me into so when did you start to consider rap as like something that you could do long term something sustainable so i mean most rappers i feel like most artists i feel like you know we all dabbled in it when we were like super young like i could say like right. the first time i ever like wrote raps down i was like 10 or whatever but it wasn't until i was in high school where i started pursuing rap and this is was like i started high school in 2007 so like this is way before like you know rapping was like just a hobby for everybody so when i went through high school it was the era of little wayne's no ceilings or like mixtapes and things like that so it definitely wasn't until I was like 15, 16, really thinking like, okay, this is what I want to pursue. You know what I mean? I was handing out mixtapes freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. Like I just, it's all I ever wanted to do. So it, it definitely probably, you know, freshman year, 14, 15, where I was like, yeah, this is what I want to try to do, you know? Right around there. So when did you start to like get involved with like doing shows that like, like I've seen you like at the Middle East, you opened for Code of the Friend or like last year or the year before. When did you start getting into like, the New England rap scene as a whole, as opposed to just like passing out mixtapes, putting the music up. Yeah, the very first show I ever did, I think I was 17 at the time at a, a Quinnick Coffee House, I believe it was called, and it was way back when. Um, mm -hmm. So that's when I first started dabbling in trying to get into just like the local scene. And I always had a feeling, this is before streaming, streaming really kicked off. I just I knew that where I lived wasn't as big as the world actually was. So I knew I had to immediately just try to break ground outside of Aquinnick Island just because this area is so small and everything. But it really wasn't until 
2000, just last year, like you said, like 2019 is when I opened for Coda. And that's when I started actually breaking through the regional scene and not so much the local scene anymore. Yeah, what, what, like that's actually, that's interesting because you're like a little bit older than me and like some of the artists I've been working with talking to. So like, what was that world like as like an artist trying to get your stuff sort of out there? Like, I mean, obviously the internet was a thing, but like right, right now is like, obviously it's been being you being utilized to its fullest potential to like get artists out there and new random underground unsigned artists. What was that like before that? The weirdest thing about it, it I, I don't want to say it was similar because it, it definitely wasn't, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, I have a lot of peers that are, are from my era of like rap, you know what I mean? So like, and we like discuss it, discuss it, like how we were like, how we feel like nobody else was really doing it. But the power of MySpace was even still relevant back in 2007 and eight, because like right. I connected with people from Connecticut, Virginia, and like through MySpace and Facebook, and it's like baby era, I ended up inking my first or my second first independent deal was through a small studio in Brockton. My second deal was actually a small independent label called Piehead Mob in uh, Virginia. So like as much as it's definitely changed and now things can just go viral like crazy, the platforms were still there. And like, you know, I don't know if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, but like to listen to yeah. him talk for the last like three years just to be like damn like I wish I knew you in 2007 and 8 and could have just listened and realized like the potential of like you know like what Soulja Boy was working on you know what I mean like from Crank That all the way to now it's like he was one of the pioneers of that viral meme marketing in a way yeah. without realizing it you know what I mean so it, the capability was there it's just you really had to be keen and like tuned in to the idea of the bigger picture really you know what i mean so the potential was there but it was a different era bro it was more like a it still had that word of mouth feeling to it when i was like in high school you know what i mean it was like, yeah we could post on myspace but like things weren't like viral like that you know the only things that were viral were like two girls in one cup you know what i mean like, <laughs> like dumb dumb shit like that you know what i mean yeah like, i'm not that guy oh i was in middle school when that dropped but i mean still though, right. it's just like it's like rappers weren't really going viral like i mean little wayne was greatest at the time you know what I mean so it's right like we weren't really doing or talking to any about anybody else except Lil Wayne and Drake and Nicki Minaj just because these things were in front of us and not being force-fed like on our Instagram feeds and things like that right so it was similar but a little different at the same time for sure definitely yeah that's funny you mentioned because like like I'm a little bit younger than you I'm 19 and mm -hmm. so like I think probably like the first rap I heard was like the Soldier Boy like fucking Spongebob edits on YouTube right, and that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, so like, right. yeah, like he was like, I never really thought about that, but like he really was like a pioneer, like you said, in a lot of aspects yeah. like that. Yeah. And then just like a little after that, like Kanye started becoming like just like a meme in it of, its, of itself. Right, for, exactly. Like better or for worse. But uh, yeah, we're I mentioned the local scene earlier. So like a lot has been said, I think about like Atlanta Trap, Chicago Drill, mm -hmm. like all South Florida, SoundCloud Rap, all these like, local scenes subgenres, and all that stuff do you think that there's anything like that for new england in in particular i don't want to say that new england itself has a particular sound or a style like you mentioned like atl obviously is super trap heavy and right. it has like this certain rhythm and flow to it and like you have chicago drill and now like new york is brewing their own drill sound and like i can't say that new england has a sound but the closest thing i could say that we might have as a whole is uh consciousness because i know rappers mm -hmm. from connecticut uh, for example one of my homies young prophet who is a a conscious christian rapper you know what i mean like his thinking is conscious and like i know another person from connecticut who's another conscious rapper and it's just like i feel like that's the only thing that we might all have similar in the sense that we talk about social issues or injustices like here and there it's like um for example joiner lucas who we all know is from this right. area just rapper and it's like not saying that we always all crank out all those kinds of songs and topics and whatnot but I feel like that might be the closest thing to the common ground that we all have is that we try to stay a little bit kind I feel like we're so close to New York and that's where like that kind of brewed from you know what I mean and I rubbed off on us some and we still kind of try to carry that you know I, so I, I think New England the only sound we might have in common would be consciousness just a little bit that'd be my answer for that. Yeah, I think, yeah, because Joyner is probably the biggest artist out of this part of the country. And like the only, like the second I can think of is, uh, I don't know if you were familiar with Brockhampton at all, but uh, 
mm-hmm. of their guys, Dom McLennan, he's from, I think, the Hartford area. And he's like, very, like he's very much that sort of style. And right. like, yeah, which sort of like brings me, so like, like I mentioned, like Joyner is really the only artist from this part of the country to get like major label recognition, like all that kind of stuff. Like obviously you have successes from this area, but like to like right. main, mainstream, mainstream success, Joyner's like the biggest. So like, why do you think Boston and Providence and Hartford aren't really on the map as much as New York, LA, et cetera? My personal opinion for that, I think it's because of the perception of the area we're from. Um, Cause when you think of New England, like- um, think white you think predominantly white right exactly i'm glad you i'm glad you said it first <laughs> i was like not to go that way <laughs> no yeah no i totally get not it not to go that way but it's like it's predominantly white so it's like yeah. when you see you know somebody that's not white from this area rapping about things that you probably wouldn't think happen in this area and it's like well you know there's a quote that i've heard you know years and years ago is that a block makes a difference which is true you know it's like if you do some research like i'm about to drop some real crazy conscious music real soon it's like there's a there's something called redlining where um more or less it's just you know putting certain areas and communities that are you know not well invested in because there's no really there's no roi i mean so even though you know we are predominantly white in this area there are tons of areas that are redlined you know that they're disenfranchised you know places like brockton and dorchester you know what i mean like the hartford new Brit- uh, new britain you know what i mean like there's new haven uh, there's so many different places where there's communities that are hurting with stories where there's real pain and there's real topics that we can relate to when we listen to New York rappers and Chicago rappers and LA rappers, and it's like, we might not live through, you know, the detrimental uh, problem of gang violence as as often as some of these other areas. But I mean, those things also do happen in these areas. A lot of people that, you know, I know, or you may know, or we know in between people like addicted to drugs and, you know, it's, or, or deal with, you know, mental health issues. And it's just like, we connect on all these different levels, but when you think of this area, it's just predominantly white. So I feel like that automatically makes whoever's in this area invalid, you know what I mean? In terms of the hip hop sense, you know? So, and I feel like the only way to kind of break through that is to just kind of just get that mainstream attention. For example, you brought up Joanna Lucas in it. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but if uh, King OSF, who was on uh, one of the tracks off of his album, is from um, Providence. And he actually, um, yeah, 100% positive, he just inked a, uh, a deal through Joyner and his team. So he'll be next up on the on the platform of coming out of New England, which I think is really cool because he's underneath Joyner, who we've just discussed is one of the bigger, if not the biggest New England rapper, other than like people like... Um, Flawless, who was second place on uh, Nef- uh, Rhythm and Flow on Netflix, and um, mm. what's the other guy's name? Mikey, Mike, Mike Stud, who I think Mike I believe Stud. is also yeah, like Johnston or something, right? Like yeah, <laughs> like, he's been he, famous yeah. for like a decade, you know, like so that doesn't really count, but um, yeah. But I feel like that's the problem here is just like we're this area is viewed as predominantly white, even though we are still just as diverse as any place in America, you know what I mean? But I feel like once you can kind of break that that mode of you're probably glad probably lying through your raps i feel like you have a chance of competing with bigger cities you know that's definitely like yeah like it's like oh these area it's predominantly white but like there's like that brings a perception of privilege and like and that's what it brings about like guys like mike stud who are very much like i'm 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 conflicted on this term but like ferrat rapper we're like like kind of like like same as like Mac Miller's early, early stuff. Yeah, when he's like early state, Asher Roth. Yeah, frat rapper. I like that yeah. term. I've never heard that before, actually. Yeah, but I. But like, there's still black people in these communities, in these areas that still face issues, but like, they get ignored because like, it's not like, they're not like the quote unquote face of that region, which I. Right. Yeah, that's crazy in and of itself. So like to sort of sum this section up, what do you think is like, what's your opinion on the state of the new, of the New England rap game? Like, obviously, like I like that guy you mentioned, King OSF. Looks like we're going to be yep. seeing more sort of bigger names coming out of the region. How do you do? You think we're going to be seeing more of that? Do you think it's still going to be a struggle? Um. So I I, I kind of have mixed feelings on it. I definitely feel like okay, this is kind of like my theory. So more or less, as everybody knows, it's not about what you can do. It's about who you know. So I feel like anybody from this area has the potential to break through that weird you know like like we just discussed that weird like mold and 
the cape or the mask that we have over this area. As long as you can create a network outside of here and show your potential as an artist, I feel like you can break through. So for example, King OSF, you know, has left New England, has left Rhode Island to make connections in different states, you know, like um, another artist from Providence who's, who's uh, very popular, uh, 20,000 plus in the gram and, you know, uh, over a million streams here and there uh, is uh, D. Gomes. And he has also, you know, traveled outside of New England. And I feel like a lot of people just kind of forget that we can leave here. You know what I mean? Like I've, mm-hmm. I've been to LA and I used to live in Seattle. I've been to Chicago, you know, and I've, I've met a lot of people. Um, and it's just like, once you start leaving and you start creating these networks outside of here and people just listen to what you got to say for a minute, you have the potential to break through. So I just want to say to any kind of upcoming artist, um, stop worrying about where you're from and realize that the world is a thousand times bigger than where we're from. If you're from a small town in Ohio, it doesn't matter. You know, like the whole world is out here. So just don't be afraid to go on orbits.com and pay a $20 ticket to go meet somebody, you know, that could literally change your life with a phone call because that person might know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So, you know, you're on a mainstream album on the very last track, you know, closing it out record deal you know what I mean shout out King OSF for pulling that off like crazy you know so I definitely believe that we all have the potential to make New England a conscious street crazy like little twist on like the rap game as long as we're able to continue to network inside and outside don't forget that the world exists outside of New England that's my for sure speaking of the world outside of New England uh you dropped a few really good uh tracks last year one of them obviously is a pocket with a yes. Chapa. So yeah. how did you, how did you guys, uh, how'd you guys meet or how'd you guys um, come? So, yeah. Uh, I would love to put this story officially like on record. Cause only like, no, a couple of my homies, like know like the full story of how it went down. Um, so it was January of 2019 and it was the week before the CODA show or the week of the CODA show we first connected. Um, but yeah, it was the week of, so I was just on Instagram, um, follow, you know, I follow rap pages, all that stuff. Like we all do. And I'm just scrolling and like, I just happened to find the shot of flow um, video. And this is like, this is when Chop only had 40,000 followers on Instagram. This is when before the song, that like blew up. Yeah, dude. Like the video itself only had like 30,000 plays. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was doing well because it was only out for like a day or two. You know what I mean? Right. But I just listened to it and I watched it and I was like, that's the one he's up next. You know what I mean? Like the energy, the vibe, like the visual and like, it just, it just worked. And I knew like, he had something going. So I just DM'd him. And like I said, you know, like he had real good buzz, but he wasn't, you know, over the top crazy. Can't find my DM. You know what I mean? So like, I just hit him up and like, yo, like, listen, bro, your shit's crazy. Like, let's, let's make a track. And he hit me up within an hour and it was cool. We exchanged phone numbers. We talked on the phone real quick. I sent him the track. He sent it back later, like literally later on that night, basically within the next 24 hours, we had the song done. And then, yeah, the rest is just kind of just, is, is the story there. So like, it was just it was just a quick DM, man. Like I just saw him on Instagram, quick DM. He hit me back, and then we just made a song within 24 hours. It was it was quick, cool. He's a good kid, you know. It was it was a, it was a cool experience. We linked up with him, like you know. That's crazy, cause like that, like you got him like literally like right like at the moment right before he started going big. So like, what was it specifically that you saw with him? Like you mentioned the video. Was it like his flow, his sort of energy? Yeah, it was just, it was just, I knew how young he was when he dropped the song. I mean, the kid's only 17 now, so it's yeah. like, I knew he was 16, and like, the video was just wild. His energy, the, the the rawness of his vocals, and then I just saw the people he was with, how much support he had already 16 versus, you know, like, what I was doing from where from, you know, like, I, it's like, I was black sheep, you know what I mean? Like, nobody really wanted to take my CD, you know, and like, 10 years later to watch this 16-year-old have his entire block with him on the street. It was just, it was powerful to be like, damn, this is a new generation right here in front of me, you know? So I was like, I have to work with this kid. You know what I mean? I believe in the the connect between all of us creatively, you know? I don't think it's not cool to work with like the newer kids, you know what I mean? So it was, just, he just had everything that I knew was happening next. And I mean, now look at him, you know what I mean? That's why I had to sure. put the trigger on that song, definitely. It's interesting. Cause like, you could have just like, like like shot a flow blows up you like release that immediately but like you didn't do right. that you waited you waited for a while like as he sort of he, he gained momentum he had the remix blue face he had the uh one cult one cole bennett video two cole bennett videos like all these major co-signs and everything 
and then you drop it in September. Why was that? What was that the right time for you? Um, so more or less, um, I was in the studio working on a R&B EP at the time when Choppa and I actually made Pocket. So right. my my mental flow wasn't really for Pocket at the time when we had made it. So I wasn't ready to drop it in that moment. But also with obviously in hindsight, it's like I definitely should have rode some of that that clout that he blew up with, you know, obviously, because I mean, look at him now. Um, so but I just also, there was a piece of me that just didn't, I didn't want to try to force myself into his, he had something to focus on. You know what I mean? Right. Like, who am I to try to interject into that? You know what I mean? Like, you're having a life-changing opportunity and I'm gonna let you have that life-changing opportunity. I'm glad we got to connect and I'm not gonna force my way in. I'm not gonna clout chase, you know what I mean? Because I'm a lot older than him. So like, I'm a little bit more more mature than most, I feel like, you know, people out here sometimes, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I just knew it, it wasn't my space, you know what I mean? To be like, yo, bro, like, do this for me, do that for me. Like, who am I? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, we exchanged phone numbers, we did business, it was money, contract, boom, that's it. Good luck to you, little bro. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's all that was. Uh, you released that video, or the, not the video, the song on the 8th, then like f literally four days four days later, he drops the the video for Camelot, which is like his second mm -hmm. like biggest song. Was that like so that wasn't like specifically intentional? There was nothing like there, like I'm gonna drop on this nope. exact date because okay. It was just Have it was you... just like kinda like perfect timing. I, I actually wanted to wait until January of twenty twenty to drop pocket, to be honest with you. After I'd already missed my window of like opportunity. I had a feeling he was going to do like a one year anniversary. And actually I remember him tweeting about it, but I don't know if he actually ever did anything in January, but hmm. no, nah, that was just all by chance that it came out around the same time. So like, have you had any like real communication with him after like, after like all that stuff started blowing after you guys made that song? So we had uh, went back and forth on DM during the week of release a little bit, but that was the last time Chop and I had spoke. Last time we talked was in September of 2019. Word. Word, word, word. So speaking of young guys, speaking of uh, early stuff, so tell me about You Are Culture. Yeah, for sure. So uh, <laughs> so the crazy part about You Are Culture is that, uh, so in 2011, little preamble, I had a little idea called TRL, which was an acronym for trust, respect, and loyalty. And I just thought of it one day by just driving behind a tractor trailer license plate and saw the wave of the Rhode Island license plate, TRL. And I was like, oh, that'd be like a cool like mixtape cover. So like I had like this little label idea that I was gonna try to run with. And then like six months later, the name didn't really stick between me and my homies and like what we were trying to do. And then I thought of something called UR Coke. And um, this was actually at the time of Trayvon Martin's passing a little bit, a little bit after it was, uh, was kind of like established in like 2012, UR Culture was. Right. And the logo that we designed was a, a black square with two white dots next to a white square with two black dots. And I kind of wanted to make it, it it's crazy because like at that time, I, I, I meant, I, what I meant by UR Culture is that we as in black people are hip hop culture. You know what I mean? Like we are the epicenter of what was starting to brew into common pop culture. Like rap is now pop culture. And I don't I don't feel like yeah. a lot of people realize that in, in time while it's happening, but hip hop is pop culture now. So that's kind of like what my message was at the time. And that's why I created that logo because we were going to, everybody on the team was black. We had one white kid on the team. He was like the video kid. And like, I mean, he was he was an honorable black dude. You know what I mean? Like he was one of those kind of white kids. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. like, it was just, we were just trying to like, big each other up you know what I mean it was kind of like a moment of just unity between you know me and five of uh, of my closest friends that were creatives whether they're producers video guys photographers uh could write songs but didn't sing songs or didn't rap songs but just would help write things you know what I mean so it was just a moment in life where I wanted to establish a sense of unity between me my friends and the community around us that's what you are culture was what was the vision for like what was this like the vision for that was it like to just create like an independent label yeah so the idea was just to kind of create a creative house of just like and it's crazy because before i really learned like the chain of business and the chain of of or certain teachings from certain people i kind of wanted it this before i knew what being integrated vertically was you know what i mean so like right. before i really realized what that was it's kind of like the baby idea of it so i wanted to be able to control who made the beat i wanted to control where we recorded how I wrote it, 
who was going to videotape it, how we were going to edit it. I just wanted everybody I could trust in one center and be like, Hey, this is my song, the idea, the video, you do this, you do that, you do this and I'll do this. You know what I mean? And we could just contain it and control it. And this is before I knew anything about owning masters and owning publishing and things like that. And it was just, I just knew, I guess, subconsciously deep down that we just had to the content that we created and we couldn't really let anybody mess that up in the process. What ended up happening with that? Cause, uh, cause like I look up your name on YouTube, the vlogs, the vlogs, I see the UR culture vlogs from, I forgot what year. I think it's like 2011, 2012. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think what just kind of happened is that, uh, oh, oh, uh, one of our friends moved to like San Diego or San Francisco or something. And then since we lost that kid, a couple of other people started kind of like getting like, you know, shaky about it and started backing out. So it kind of just, it was a good idea. Just, you know, not the right time. That's kind of more or less what happened to that one. You know? Gotcha. In those early vlog, in those early, like vl- the vlog that I saw, you were like, you were on some producer shit back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, what were you, what were you using for that? Like program, like program wise? Yeah. So I was, um, I used to like play around sort of making beats and like mix craft. I don't know if you know what mix craft. I know, bro. I know mix craft. I took, I took a, I took a music production class in high school. We used mix craft. Incredible, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I used to use mix craft, but also studio once i found out what fl studio was i was like okay let me delete mixcraft <laughs> literally i have not heard a single person mention the words mixcraft <laughs> like, that's hilarious it's, it's not a, it's we used not to a record sh- on audacity too bro i mean right. hey at old those, school you know <laughs> those aren't shitty programs like audacity no, is like open all. source not and mixcraft yeah like it's not that much different or that like less yeah like than yeah any- kind of daw for sure was it all just like sampling and pulling stuff were you actually like writing melodies and that kind of stuff through that um no so i mean a little bit of both so kanye west is probably right my favorite living artist like on very rare occasions he'll drop down to number two and jay-z might go to one for the day you know what i mean like but more or less kanye west is like is just my true goat so I've always loved sampling. So I'd, I'd always just find a couple samples, find a couple drum loops or make my own drum loops. Uh, I know how to play the piano, not like crazy, but I know how to play the piano. So, you know, I, I could make my own melodies on the piano, but it wasn't like, I can't really read music that great. It's not like I know music right. theory, you know what I mean? But it was a little bit of both. I would just watch like tutorials here and there, or I would just watch videos of Kanye West and Pharrell and Dr. Dre in the studio and just watch, you know what I mean? Just listen and just try to pick thought process so it was definitely a little bit of sampling a little bit of original like scores but i would say about 60 sampling another 80 20 80 20 yeah what did produce what did producing songs teach you about like rapping over songs so producing songs taught me that i don't know how to make beats um like i know like this skeleton idea that i might have but it def- i realized that when i was trying to make beats that you have to learn how to play to your strengths so when i was producing I realized I'm a way better writer and a way better rapper than I am at producing so thankfully for try like don't get me wrong I still try to make beats here and there just like when I'm super bored and like they're a lot better than they were in 2010 but like they're still awful you know what I mean like I would never actually release it you know what I mean so it producing actually taught me how to be a better rapper ironically you know what I mean you know like I definitely like as I've been like getting more into like the rap stuff with Rizzy and everything like I'm like I like yeah, shout out to Rizzy. I, I got a new MacBook and like I got Logic with it for like a reduced thing and I bought a MIDI keyboard. I'm like, oh, oh, ma- making a beat, that, that shit's easy. Right. You can like easy. easy and like I, right. like I do it and then like I send it to people like over Instagram and they're like, this shit's ass, bro. And I'm <laughs> right, like, right. yeah, you're, you're probably like, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, I feel you for sure. But yeah, so I want to get into some more of the sort of stuff you were releasing over the past year. So uh, actually Mm. it's interesting. So you obviously you've been working for a while, but like I go onto your SoundCloud and your Spotify and like the earliest stuff is from 2018. Well, 2018, what was like the decision to like purge a lot of that stuff? Was that, was that motivated by, was just like a lack of confidence in the material you were putting out at that time? Yeah. So definitely. Okay. So I, I made the decision to start definitely like purging all my music 
as like right before I dropped Pretty Boy in the Trap in 2018. So mm-hmm. it, it, I definitely was uncomfortable leaving. Like I had a mixtape from, you know, uh, 2012 on my SoundCloud still. I had singles from 2015, 16 still. And like I was about to drop like my comeback EP of like not releasing after like three years. So I felt like I had improved so much that it was just like, it was a disservice to what I was about to do to leave all that stuff up there, you know? So, right. and like, I had, I had stuff on Dat Piff from like 2008 to 2012 that I somehow magically logged into in like 2015 and deleted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I deleted all my YouTube videos. Like I had five, six really shitty music videos on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of weird, like freestyles that I just had to, I just had to remove, you know, I was like, if I'm going to go, way more serious now and way more focused than ever i don't want people to look back at like high school clue era claudie b you know what i mean right. it just that's not who i was or what i wanted to talk about anymore and it, it was just laughable bro you know what i mean like I'll, I'll play some of my old stuff for like my homies here and there like we just laugh and we're like thank god this is not available on youtube anymore <laughs> you know right. i mean like it's just awesome sure. you know so getting into getting to, into some of the stuff you are pr- you are more proud of that from like the most recent dogs was really like the first song to like blow up on like that next next level that's like the first thing i heard from you i don't know i don't know did i, did I tell you how i found your music I, I i you might have but i mean i can't remember at this moment so definitely please so uh, i'm friends with that uh, emily Sil- emily Oh, who, yes, uh, yes, I know. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so okay. like I was doing the shit with Rizzy and she's like, yo, I have this friend who goes, who, uh, yeah. wor- who I work with, who's like a rapper. And I'm yeah. like, oh God, like I thought it was going to be like some like white kid from like Middletown mm-hmm. who's like, mm-hmm. like, a mi- like, like a, in high school. Said, like we just exactly, discussed, yeah, right, like exactly. Th- that's right. the, like the idea. So I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. all right, I'll give it a listen. Like I listen to yeah. dogs. I'm like, yo, yeah. what the, so like, like this is not what I expected at all. So like, why do you think like that song was the one to sort of like pop on that next level? Why do you think that was it like in the song itself was in the way you promoted it? Why is that? Why is that currently sitting at like over a hundred K on Spotify? Yeah. Um, so um, I think just the idea was the power behind dogs is that I had recorded it a month and a half before I had released it. Actually the original dogs copy was made in December of twenty. 20- 18. So by the time July came around, there was a whole second new verse and there was an, a couple lyric changes in the first verse. So it was a different song by the time it had dropped. So I already had visualized how I kind of wanted to roll it out. But the success behind Dogs was definitely being able to be so far ahead of schedule that we got the video done weeks before the song was coming out. So the song and the video were able to come out at the same time and I was able to push them at the same time and then to also have you know a lot of my homies you know uh really loved the song prior to release have a couple homies in the video so it was just like all hands on deck that was one of those moments where it still showed that grassroots you know word to mouth campaigns can still work and it was just like I just feel like we executed it perfectly and um I was actually working with Montana 300's manager, KP, um, who I'm I'm really cool with, um, who had helped me kind of create some of the ideas for the campaign strategy of rolling out dogs, which then we led into rolling out pockets. So it was just like, it was just like a, it was just like this all hands on deck kind of movement where like, I just had everybody, I had like, I was giving out dog flags, you know what I mean? For free promo, I was just handing them out to people. And it was just like, it was all hands on deck, man. You know what I mean? And now it's at like 130 something, 135 almost K on Spotify Crazy. alone. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it's definitely still my biggest record. Um, and like, it was just, it was just one of those moments where just everybody was just like, Damn, this is, this is the song, bro. You know what I mean? Like not people that I know that didn't like my music before they were like, yo, this shit's crazy. You know what I mean? It was right. just, it's, it's the energy in the song. It's the, it was the, the video. It was just, it just had a little bit of everything to it. And I think that's the reason why it did so well, for sure. Definitely. 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 So, so, so that comes out like, you know, and like, I, intru- like I, I text Rizzy. I'm like, yo, you got to work with this guy. And yeah, so like yeah, you yeah. guys end up doing some shit together. You guys, you do yep. a few songs together on his album. Uh, you Correct. do the show, you do, you, you come, you come to his, his live show and uh, that was that like I didn't know what to expect because like you know like 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 again some of those some rappers like from this area like on it as experienced it's like 
they go on stage, they have the mic, they rap over here in a monotone voice, and they walk over here, yeah. and they rap over here, and they keep going. Right. And it's just right. like, it can be, it, it can get boring really easily. But, like, you went on, and you did dogs. And, like, I was like, <laughs> like I literally, I got, like, fucking, like, chills. Because, like, you're, like, you're running around. You're, you're just, like, by the second that. verse, you're, like, in the audience. You're pushing, you're yeah. starting to mosh. <laughs> So like yeah man <laughs> when did you sort of like like the word i used was like electric so like when did that sort of how how long so like you've been performing live you mentioned from like like since like the early early days so like when did you sort yeah. of like realize that like wh when did you sort of like when did you bring that into your uh, performance so i would say that like i always i definitely always try to have some energy in like my early shows and stuff but the moment where i realized that I had to go even harder was the Coda show. So in my, like, I, I remember that show so vividly and like, I remember turning up and like, I had the energy, I was running all over stage. I was jumping up and down. And like, I just, I, I compared that moment to every time I've been to any concert. And I've seen people like Travis Scott live, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West, Jay-Z, Beyonce, you know what I mean? I've seen them all like Drake, you know, like yeah. I've seen everybody. And like, I just knew that like, when, when, I, when I showed up to Rizzy's show and like, I just knew that was the moment where I could elevate my live performance. You know, like I remember how live I was at Coda, but like the, the audience didn't know me there. So like they weren't, they weren't opening up, you know what I mean? But when I was, you know, in my hometown at Rizzy's show who like, you know, I know and like his friends know me or I know his friends. It was just like, I knew that they knew what songs I might be coming out to do. So I knew in that moment, I could get loose and like just that's where I knew I could just kick it up and in that moment I've kept that energy at each live so, show I've done since you know what I mean it's just I, I don't know it's just something about that show that just let me know like hey man you can just freak the fuck out and people are gonna love it and that's just kind of what I just had to do you know like for I sure the energy from the crowd and from you and Rizzy and it was just like it was just warming and welcoming and it just I had no fear you know what I mean like hmm. it was just you guys had great energy so like I had no fear to just kind of just jump the fuck off the stage <laughs> you know what I mean like push people around you know what I mean like yeah let's go you know what I mean like so like that when moment, you man. that's that's crazy like it's that moment because like yeah when you're opening when you're opening for code of the friend who like has cloud and, like people are coming to see him and they're like oh who the fuck's right. this guy opening like you gotta like get yeah. their attention somehow and then right. yeah when you're coming doing a hometown show with people who are like say who are like screaming the lyric screaming the hook right. to dogs right that's that's really crazy so and then literally you did your show at like the perfect moment because like if it was scheduled for a week later it would not Ooh, have did, bro. been able God to happen <laughs> no because uh it was crazy because yeah. yeah you did your show at the firehouse theater that was like march 8th or something march 8th and yep. like it's funny because like all the previous shows i'd done there at the firehouse theater i had helped like rizzy with everything because I know all the all the equipment there. I helped Noah and everyone yeah, yeah. with setting those up. And I thought, okay, th okay, this time we should be good. Rizzy and them, they they've used the equipment before. They know how it works. And like I I'm in Florida. I'm on a plane yeah, to yeah. Florida, and I get I yeah. I land and I land and I'm like getting texts like yo how we get like Rizzy like yo how we getting the mics to work and everything. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. Was, but that was funny. So was that your first show that you put on like fully independently? Like, cause like you've done stuff at, you've done stuff at clubs before. Okay. What'd you guys learn during the process of planning, rehearsing, putting on that show specifically? Um, so we had learned a lot, man. Um, just because we had a, we had a time frame, as you know, and we just had felt as if next time we run our own show, we definitely want to get a whole day or two in the venue before the actual live show, just to have more time to plan and set up like I only brought like two or three people with me to set up everything so like on my next show I'm just gonna straight up just like pay like four people to be like yo I want this 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 and this yeah. done you know what I mean like just to make things easier and smoother on like creative level even though we didn't have so much time to set up and get things going um it still ended up like the show ran smooth it was just it was just like the setup process that we were just kind of like all over the place just because we didn't have enough time so yeah in the future I'll definitely you know whatever venue I'm at, I'll definitely want to get in the day before, you know, just to scope it, know how, you know, where the lights is, where the fucking, you know, the PA system is, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, like we definitely pulled trigger like on the venue, like just cause we loved the energy that it had, you know what I mean? So we were just like, we just got to book it. We just got to book it. I don't even care. Just book it. We just going to show up. We just going to turn it up. You know what I mean? Like we learned a lot and we learned that, Hey man, 
take a breather. Let's let's plan a couple things out real quick. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, it's a really it's a really good room for like for small yeah for like that sized audience even smaller like it feels like so closed in like you can go crazy and like it's just, it's a like contained black yeah. box and like yeah i really like that like like part of the reason i want to like put like have it there a i have like the connections there i'm like i'm more i was working there helping with there they have like comedy shows each week i'm like doing the lights for that but and like i'm like this would be a really good room for live music and like that doesn't really happen there that much so like I start right. bringing in, I start holding my own comedy shows. I bring in, I bring in acts to sort of like close the shit out. I start ho- holding this right. shit with Noah and Rizzy and then you, you were sort of independent, but like, yeah, I really think, I really hope that like after th- this quarantine shit is over, we yeah. can have more, more stuff there more frequently. Cause I think there's really a lot of potential there. I agree. I think that, I think that venue has a lot of potential. I, I think the only thing that can compete with that and it's like the only other cool venue on the island in my personal opinion would be dockside and you know it's like it's like twice mm-hmm. the size you know what i mean or two and right. a half times the size but like firehouse as you said bro it's like it's so it's like 100 so intimate, you know what yeah I mean? it's like 100 max you know what i mean like that's perfect you know what i mean that's enough to get everybody that that place deserves a lot of shine and hopefully like you said when this is all said and done we could do one in august one in september one in october you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a great venue to like bring some life to this community around here for sure definitely for sure for sure so if it's all right with you, I want to get a little bit more serious. We we talked yeah. a little bit earlier about like some of the stuff in this region with like race and some of that. And like, obviously yeah. recording this early June right now, uh, George Floyd. So like, yes, these are issues that like we've been dealing with for decades in this country. And like the fact that it takes the death of another unarmed black man with a $20 bill for us to like, at least reexamine this shit. That's fucking disgusting. Yeah, so what were your feelings when you, uh, when you, well, first when you heard like what happened and we like saw the video or s- clips of like that video? Yeah. So, um, it was May 25th. Um, I had gotten, or yeah, May 25th, I woke up and Instagram banned me and I was like, okay, cool, sick, dude, dope. You know what I mean? And like, so I'm just scrolling through Instagram, minding my own business. Day goes by. I wake up the next morning on May 26th and I, the first thing I open up on Instagram is just George Floyd's last couple moments of life. And it was just like, I got chills. I got the goosebumps. I got the typical sick to my stomach feeling. And it's just like, it just, it set a rage inside of me all over again to be like, okay, so here we are again for the countless time in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Not, not even just in like, you know, like my father's and my father's father, you know what I mean? Like just in my lifetime alone, this, this is the hundredth time I've seen this, you know what I mean? And like, I just, I just felt sick to my stomach, man. And just like, but watching it and hearing a grown man who's, you know, in his mid forties calling out for his mother. And like, I didn't even know who he was, you know what I mean? But like, I knew she may or may not be around right now. You know what I mean? Like, so like, it was the most evil thing I've watched in a long time. And I just knew that something was going to happen out here because of it. I was obviously I've been like around for the for some of the sh- for a lot of the shit you've been seeing too. But like like I mentioned earlier, I'm like a I ha- like I'm from a completely different background. But like also I was in middle school when like when Trayvon was shot, when the Ferguson riots, when Eric Garner. So like I, mm-hmm. I obviously I knew the movements and stuff were going on. I was seeing it on the news, but like I wasn't really involved in like or like involved in like seeing the activism and the protests firsthand. So like, I want to ask your opinion on what like the role of social media is playing with activism this time around. Like, do you think, do you think there's any like problems with aspects of it? Um, no. Cause like, so more or less when, when, like you had mentioned about Trayvon, like um, uh, I have a song coming out called War Cry uh, coming out very soon. I have a, I have a whole EP like, like, um, like we had discussed prior to all this. I go to the studio today at five, or a six-hour session, so like I'm not putting a lot of work into the time I missed out quarantine. Um, and I have a line in the song "War Cry" when I said I said something along the lines of, um, "I arrived with the 19 when I was 19. Trayvon was murdered for having an iced tea, and I remember when that happened, and I had lost it because you know he was a, he was a kid. You know he's two. I think he's two years younger than me, or like a year younger than me. You know, like so like we were more or less the same age, and like just to watch that and watch how that grew into Black Lives Matter. And then, 
you know, every, you know, every couple months or every so often we would start seeing these things pop up and these hashtags pop up. And I think over the course of the last eight, nine years, it's kind of just grew into something. I think now is in a better state than what it was when we had lost Trayvon. Um, because of the power of social media and the fact that we, the whole world has been on pause, it gave us an opportunity, as I'm sure you've seen the quote pass along on Instagram and Facebook and stuff, to really just, everybody had no choice but to watch that video. You know what I mean? Like you were literally forced, no matter where you were swiping, no matter which channel you were on, you were watching that man die all day long. You had no choice but to watch it. And I think that was so powerful and made everybody realize, go, hey, man, what the fuck is happening over there? You know what I mean? Like, what's happening here? You know, like, I feel like I, you couldn't ask for a better moment for this kind of awakening. You know, like, I had talked to my buddies about how the quote, like, the, uh, of George Floyd's daughter just saying, my daddy changed the world. And it's just like, he, he, his passing did change everything. You know, like the whole world became enraged. Everybody became just so disgusted at just what, you know, is happening here in America. So I, I personally think that social media and activism are one because if you look at just previous case, I mean, the FBI is opening up, you know, all these different cases that have been closed all, all over police brutality. Like there's the Amy Cooper law now about to pass in New York where, you know, now it's going to be a hate crime to call 911 on somebody because of their skin color and you're uncomfortable. Like you'll literally go to jail for that. You know what I mean? Like we're getting, we're getting laws passed and there's, you know, there's defunding in certain areas, you know, LAPD is about to lose $150 million and they're about to take that and give it back to the black community and give a piece to the Hispanic community. And all these places that I mentioned earlier that are redlined and don't have the property tax to pay for better schools and to pay for better health care. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like right now is the perfect opportunity. This is the power of social media. Like, I'm glad you asked, bro. This is, this is where we're at. You know what I mean? Like, this is how real it is right now. Like, it's the perfect time. I couldn't ask for anything more important happening right now. I think this is the epicenter of change right now. I think that's where we're at. It really, it really is. Cause like, when like, for example, like when Eric Garner, when that's just going on, like, if you want to, if you're white, if you want, like, if you want to, you can just like, ign like, you don't have to watch that video, you can ignore it. But like, mm -hmm. this is a point, yeah, like exactly where, where we're in, where everyone's inside, everyone's on their phones, right. you like, you have to like, if you haven't seen this, like, I don't know what, I don't know what you're, like, where you've been the past three weeks, but yeah it's definitely it's the right it's the perfect moment for this for resurgence of this movement and like Agreed. unlike with some of those other instances we are seeing some sort of content it looks like we're going to see some consequences and some changes like we just saw earlier this week uh minneapolis city council voting to dismantle their pd we're seeing it looks like i mean ho fucking hopefully like the cops that involved in floyd's death and some of the other riot protest related police brutality looks like we're yeah. going to see some accountability for that unlike with garner but like I, I... these like protests are really like they're exposing i mean not even exposing because like we all knew these issues were there maybe not to, like the extent like where they're underlining the hatred at the core of our nation's police system and our, the core of our nation as a whole mm -hmm. i want to ask for you personally what what do you think need, like obviously should needs to be changed police reform, everything. What are some changes that you want to see in the government, in the police, and just American society as a whole? For sure, definitely. Um, so one of the things that um, I would definitely like to highlight real quick is the campaign of Eight Can't Wait, which is eight different policies that each, that would really help curb some of the, uh, I can't necessarily say it'll curb excessive force, even though it it aims to do that, but it'll definitely uh, lay consequences down, you know, like, and it definitely will help try to curb some of that police brutality and a lot of fatalities that happen to come with excessive force. I would love to see that implemented in every police department across the nation, even uh, like I was just talking to my buddies the other day about how I definitely want to, because over the course of the last weeks, just a little side note, I, um, I'm working on setting up a legal nonprofit, you know, like I have a website right now, I got a Instagram page, but I, I need to, you know, do the proper paperwork to officially, you know, call it, you know, an LLC nonprofit organization. 
Um, so one of the very first things I want to do moving forward is to petition for just even in my community where, you know, our our police here are, you know, there, there's definitely some racial bias, but I can't say I have seen or personally experienced police brutality on the island per se. You know, I've experienced it outside of here. I've definitely experienced racial profiling on the island for sure. Definitely. You know, I've been detained illegally, you know, countless times for no reason. You know what I mean? But I've never been beaten up by a cop you know on, on the island per se you know what i mean but i definitely want to start a petition to start a change even just directly at home and be like yo i know you might feel like we don't need them but you know i, I also don't want to get to a point to be like hey we should have fucking had these rules set up you know like after the fact like when you look like for example like just george floyd like the craziest part is is that they have one of they have a couple of the eight can't waits and one of them is there is no chokeholds allowed or strangulations in that state you know what i mean so even then the idea it sounds good but it can definitely help curb these things and as long as we can hold these people accountable because nobody's above the law you know like uh, that that's the entire idea here um is that nobody's above the law you know I, I believe in the idea of the constitution at least you know i i can't say i believe in the uh, the way it's being exercised right now but i definitely believe in the idea of the constitution so um Definitely, I want to see eight can't wait applied in every police station across the nation. I definitely want to see police held accountable. I definitely want to see police that end up being sued for police brutality or the cause of death. I want to see that money be taken out of the police department. I want to see it taken out of their pensions. I want to see that affect everybody around them because, you know, we have the conversation of good cop, bad cop. And it's just like, well, if we have one bad cop in the police department who likes to beat up black people, um, let's fire him and let's penalize everybody in the department. You know what I mean? It's like, think about it. When you're playing basketball, if I miss a shot real quick, if coach says, yo, you got to hit five or we're doing suicides, bro, if I hit four out of five, we're running suicides, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what he said. We're all, we all lost now. If I show up to football practice late, we're all running laps, you know what I mean? Which makes unity and it makes a team and it makes people hold each other accountable. The same thing is to be applied at that level, it's like, bro, if, if you fuck up, we all get a fuck up. And like, so that means I am now responsible for not only protecting my community, but to make sure my officers are not bullshitting because I have a family, I have a paycheck I need to take. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want my pension or my retirement fund to get fucked up because Jim, Jack, and Bob like to beat up black people. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that'd be an appropriate change. And like, you know, like I could have a conversation about all this, you know, for hours. You know what I mean? There's tons of things I'd like to change, but. It can't wait. And I want to see police officers held accountable. I want reforms on bills where, you know, like in the state of Rhode Island, it's really hard to, you know, process, you know, cops in any kind of court. You know what I mean? I, I want that to change. And I want to see them, you know, uh, penalize just the entire department every time there is any kind of police brutality, no matter who it's applied to. Excessive force is completely unnecessary. You know, for example, George Floyd, the man's handcuffed and there's, you know, three people on top of him. There's no need for that, you know? So everybody needs to be fined, fired, thrown in jail type thing, you know? Like, they just accountability is basically more or less all I want to see is just accountability. So I also wanted to ask, so, like, what, 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 what can I do? What can people listening to this who may be white have that privilege do to, like, help you make that shit happen if this shit starts to die down, which, like, uh, like hopefully it won't, but, like, following the trends like after a while people like get off that shit like go back to normal what can we normal, what can we right. do to keep that from happening i think the best thing we can do is do what we're doing right now is to just to keep having these conversations to keep putting it in people's faces and it's like it's like i just saw a post earlier today that was like you might be tired of hearing about racism like i've been living through it you know what i mean like right. every day for me so like you might hear it every other week or every six months and it's just like well let's talk about it every day all day all the time you know because it's a problem as we mentioned earlier it's been happening for decades for centuries you know what i mean it's like we we can't just keep sweeping it under the rug because now the whole world is watching i was in providence last saturday protesting and it was about to be curfew and like you know national guards are armed up state First police are all ready to rile, rile up and like right as we're watching the time tick down right before curfew like you about to give us all tickets arrest all of us we start saying the whole world is watching the whole world is watching and in that moment it's like we're putting accountability on you you know what i mean like whatever you're about to do 
think twice. You know what I mean? Like, because people are on live right now. There's cameras out. There's a news crew here. Like the whole world is watching about how you're about to treat the 50 of us here. You know, like just pay attention, you know? So I feel like as long as we can keep the whole world watching, I believe we can make these systemic changes that need to happen in America. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. It's all across the world, but you know, right now the focus of where we live and where we're from is America. So I definitely think of as long as we can keep the whole world watching and having these conversations and keep making people uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Cause I know it makes people uncomfortable to talk about. And that just lets me know that we're making a change. Like, as long as you're uncomfortable, we're moving in the right direction. You know what I mean? We're, we're untying these knots. We're exposing the, the passive racism. We're exposing the real racism. We're holding people accountable to these evil ideas and house. You know what I mean? So I think what, my white allies could do is to keep speaking up, to keep speaking up, you know, with me, you know, not for me, with me. That's, that's the difference now. You know, it's like, it's not, I, I don't need you to, you know, like uh, you know, champion for me, you know, like I don't need you to be the head of, you know, uh, some kind of black organization for me, but I need right. you to be side by side. For me, you know what I mean? Like, and again, at Providence, the coolest thing was when they started gearing up uh, midday while I was there for six hours, you know what I mean? Um, but at one moment, uh, they kind of, the cops got a little aggressive, like, you know, just shimmying around and shit. And somebody was like, yo, like, if if you're here and you're white and you're an ally, stand in front of us. And bro, I swear to God, bro, 200 white people from behind us just all ran up and separated themselves between us and the police. And it was just like, like, I just got goosebumps thinking about it. It was just like a moment of unity. And it was just like, as long as the whole world is watching and we're all in this together, we're going to make change. You know what I mean? So all I ask my white allies, stay with me. Let's keep talking about it. Keep posting it. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, put out, you know, donate. Like there's, there's so many good campaigns, like for, um, for protest, for example, at, at a basic level, uh, you can donate to these, these families directly through certain, you know, change.org or GoFundMe's. A lot of these families will set up campaigns or third parties will for them that we can all donate. You can donate to, uh, uh, local places like violence in boston is um a a nonprofit organization uh, in in massachusetts that focuses on police brutality um you can donate to bail funds i personally donate to like mass bail fund just because you know i try to stay communal you know what i mean like in rhode island mass connecticut just in new england as we talked about i try to stay focused around here so um and on my website thugsforjustice.com which would be my nonprofit once it's all legally worked out, I'll have a whole entire list of things that I've personally donated to that I know the money is actually used as they say it's going to be used. Um, so just to emphasize one more time, I just want all my white friends and all my white allies, all my white homies and just all my people, we're people, you know what I mean? Like we're all people. So if you believe in what I believe in, which is, you know, racial justice, because an injustice to one is an injustice to all. And that's that's what this entire land is based on you know what i mean so if we can stick together because we're people arm in arm pass out these flyers and just keep the pressure on man like the nba comes back next month and as much as i want to watch lebron you know slam on a couple homies like i can't bro i gotta be at the state house i gotta be in boston i gotta be in brockton i gotta go to new york you know like i have to be boots to the ground because we're making progress and the only way to keep it up is to keep the pressure on you know what i mean so we just got to keep the pressure on out here, man. That's, that's all I can say for all of us is just to keep the pressure on for real. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking about this. I feel like out of anyone you're like, yeah, definitely let me know when that, when that nonprofit, everything gets worked out. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to donate to that. Like I'm going to see, I'm going to look at what I can donate. I'm going to donate the most I can. Definitely, man. So thank you for addressing that. I want to, as we sort of wrap this up, I want to talk. So you're going into record later today. I, I know sure. I, it, it, it feels weird changing the subject, but uh, no, uh, okay. yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so after you got up, get off here, you're you're going to record uh, in the studio. So uh, how, how does that how does that process work for you? Are you going in? Do you have beats picked out or do you, that you have shit written over? Are you gonna go in and work with a producer, write some shit on the spot, freestyle? How does that work for you? Yeah, so for for me, man, what I do is uh, I just listen to beats all all day, all day long, and uh, throughout the week, I'll pick a couple songs here and there, and I'll write something, and then I always, I just always try to go to the studio with a plan. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna do this song, this song, and this song, and then I'm gonna mix this one and not mix this one or whatever. So I always try to go with an idea of 
uh, how many songs I'm gonna try to get done in the time frame. And as far as today goes, it's like between you know everything we just talked about, it's like my entire direction of music and my release calendar has changed completely in the last two and a half weeks, which is like it's like cool. It's a little stressful now just because like I had this entire campaign. Like we had like campaign strategies, we had video ideas. I was like. I bought all the beats to like the EP I was going to release in July. Like I was ready to go and record this entire crazy summer banger EP. But like now tonight, when I go up there, I'm going to be right. I have this, um, four tracks. It might be five or six. It depends how I feel by the time I get there, but they're all written. I am going to focus on a EP that has to talk about, uh, just racial injustice. You know what I mean? Like not, not necessarily, I'm not going to call it the black Lives matter EP, but basically that's, that's that's the focus here. Uh, I was actually yeah. talking to Rizzy about this yesterday. Uh, the direction of where my music is right now is to pimp a butterfly because, as we just talked about, this, this can't slow up. You know what I mean? So we need we need more fi- we need more fuel. You know what I mean? Like the, all week I've been listening to only the last two weeks is just to pimp a butterfly. I've only listened to things like Jesus Walks or A Change Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, and it's just like this protest music that is just skyrocketing on Spotify charts and starting to break through Billboard all over again. It's like it's because the people know that's what keeps us going. You know what I mean? Like our common ground is music. And it's like, not like we can't do it without music, but to put on something new that you haven't heard before, but makes you feel what you've been feeling for the last two weeks would be like, fuck yeah, I'm ready to protest for three more weeks. You know what I mean? Like, so tonight I'm going to record this Black Lives Matter EP. And if I have time, I'm gonna try to bang out a couple of like the Lucy's I have for my my later, I guess, fall EP now, depending on how it all turns out, you know what gotcha. I mean? But I mean, I have 30 plus songs. I'm, I already own the leases too and have the lyrics written too that I just need to get done. But right now my main focus is to talk about what is in front of us to keep the pressure on, to make sure that the whole world keeps watching. That's, that's the focus right now for sure though. You know, I was, I was actually, it's funny, I was listening to, to Pimp Butterfly last night, mm-hmm. just like, just like yeah like in in what's going on like with like everyone taught like like just like seeing all right pop up various places and like yeah, i realized 80 percent increase <laughs> exactly yeah that, that's yeah like all all right and all right i think the black of the berry both yes getting yes. up there yeah mm-hmm, yep. i like i realized i hadn't revisit i hadn't revisited the project for a while i remember how much i liked right. it when i first heard it and like i was just listening to it last night while i was working driving around and I just like I was like this is really like this is more important now than ever before. Was released. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, I think you yeah even more so definitely. Yeah, so so that project you're working on is that's gonna be the, that's gonna be the next thing out. Definitely, man. That'll be out like literally like the, to give you the exclusive date. The idea is to drop it on Juneteenth, like June nineteenth. Um, that's 10 days away. I could bang out all four, five, six songs tonight, get them all mixed tonight, upload them through the distributor and get it out by June 19th. So more or less, I want it out before the end of June. Um, but it kind of just all depends on how much I get done in this six hour session tonight. And if I need more time, I need more time. You know, I'm, I'm also not going to rush it at the same time. Right. I might drop a single, you know, but I, I definitely don't want to rush it because there's a, there's a, there's a message that I'm thing, you know, so um, but definitely, man, I'm I'm about to drop just this super socially conscious album that's going to make some people uncomfortable, 100%. You know what I mean? That, there's no doubt about it. Say some things and a couple, there's a couple lines in there that are going to make people squirm a little bit. You know what I mean? But that, like I said, that's the good. pressure is here. You know, we're, t- we're talking about this, right? It's good. It's a good thing, right? If I make you uncomfortable and you want to pause it, I'm, I'm talking about the right thing. Man. You know what I mean? Like, like I open the eye man like the, the whole world is watching you know like so that, that's my focus it's just my mind has changed you know like before all this happened like I was focused on you know integrating my businesses and aligning my brand message to like you will not outwork me which I'm, I'm still running with you know, we had these ideas of uh opening uh this retail store kind of around uh the community without saying too much about our our big dream here um but I just need to shift everything because right now we just we need the voice of us to keep talking. We need, we need community leaders focused. And it's just like, cause if we don't, we're gonna, like you said, we're gonna lose it, man. You know, like right now, this is all different though. You know, like all, all states protested, we have protests across the world. So in this moment, it's definitely a little bit different. It might be a little bit harder than usual to lose focus of it, but I just want to make sure that I do my part as much as possible to make sure that we don't, you know what I mean? So if that means 
to drop an EP, drop a couple videos. And then if I have to do a follow-up EP of the same topics or the same conversation, then that's what the fuck I got to do. You know what I mean? To make sure that we keep foot on the gas because change is here and change needs to happen now for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And if I, if I'm, if I'm releasing this, when I'm going to release it, uh, that could, that, that EP, that certainly could be out like by, by pr- present right. day when this is being released. So if, if it mm-hmm. is, I'm going to obviously link it everywhere. There'll yes, be a please. link at the end of definitely. this. Yeah, definitely. And I'll link the nonprofit if that's also, if that's figured out as well. Definitely. Yes. I feel like I definitely think you out of anyone, you could make some really good music about that. I think that is going to be really great. I think we're about, we're about out of time here. I just want, I want, do want to ask uh, if you want to give any shout outs to any uh, young artists from the area young independent artists nationwide worldwide that you want to shout out quickly yeah definitely so i mean locally some of my favorite local artists real quick um in rhode island the massachusetts area would be um right here on the island is bro god mass uh that's he's one of my favorites around here we go we go way back um uh basically family with that kid um massachusetts wise um i have a homie named authentic um Mm. he's he he does his thing man so he's he He's he's catching a buzz right now in his area and outside of his area. He's focused. Um, I got a homie named 2G Dave. I have a homie named Young Prophet, who I mentioned earlier. 2G Dave's a producer and he's a rapper. Um, he's dope, man. And like it's crazy, like what we talked about earlier. Like he's a white boy, but like yo, when you listen to his music, that man got funk. He got rhythm. Like it's just like and like he doesn't sound as as you would think he would. You know what I mean? He's like right. he's like the white Travis Scott in the lowest of keys. So shout out 2G really? Dave. Yo, if you see this 2G. You know, white Travis Scott, bro. Just know I said that. <laughs> uh, my homie, Young Prophet, man. That's another one. And an old school, two old school shout outs. I want to give out to two people that definitely inspired me to just try to be the best rapper I possibly could be. They don't make music anymore, but they still write. I know they do. It's uh, Zeta Fly, my homie Zach. Shout out Zeta and shout out my boy Hazy, um, who are two of my favorite rappers of like all time that I knew personally, you know what I mean? That made sure that I could be bigger and better. And, um, on top of that, I just want to say, you know, shout out my brother and my family and my homies, you know, Jacob, my homie Cortez, the people that allow me to express myself and the ones that, you know, that I can call and just, you know, just bitch to and just complain to and just, you know, if I got a problem, I could, I could hit them up, my, my big homie Sean West and just my support system, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's really what I'm learning here that we kind of all need, especially during this time, especially being a black man during this time, it's like, you need support, you know what I mean? So I just shout out to everybody. Shout out to you, man. You know what I mean? To, for all this, you know what I mean? The, this conversation just helps some of these thought processes and some of this anxiety that, you know, I might carry and a lot of just black men in America carry, you know what I mean? So just have, have this conversation. So just shout out to and then anybody I forgot, you know what I mean? Just if you're in my support system, just know I love you and thank you for being a part of everything that's just happening in the world and to my personal life. So thank you to everybody that is part of my support system for sure. Yeah sure for sure claudia thank you so much for being here doing this like we got a little bit heavy but like it's an important discussion for our nation to have especially right now so i applaud you for everything you're doing with the music with the nonprofit, with everything i want to i want to let, let me know let me know what's the what the deal with that stuff is because i want to support you any way i can i appreciate that man seriously and i definitely will and like tonight man when i get a couple uh loose cuts man i'll, I'll shoot you i'll shoot you a little uh sneak peek, you know, a little early a little early cut you know i'll shoot you, a yeah. something, you know i'll shoot you an mp3 Thank- tonight bro definitely man appreciate you charlie appreciate, Yo, this, I appreciate uh, you too bro. all right thank you thanks for watching the up and up podcast is written and produced by me charlie amond all our work comes courtesy of shapeshift while all music comes from cole moorhead Links to their work can be found in the description box below. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Up and Up Show or contact us at theupandupshow at gmail.com. My thanks again to Claudie B for being a remarkable guest. And that's about it. See you next time on the next episode of The Up and Up Podcast. <laughs>